Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Talking City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined once again by Simon Bykowski. Hi. And by Stuart Brennan. Hello there. The other podcast we do at the MN is called the Manchester's Red Podcast. I think we might have to rename that after what happened on Tuesday night. City emphatically embarrassing United at Old Trafford. Something we're quite used to in recent times, but uh, you were both there. What did you make of this latest derby triumph for City and where does it rank amongst Pep Guardiola's derby wins since he's uh, come to City for you? Uh, well, I wrote after City lost to United in the league that one of the most galling things about the defeat was that they hadn't lost to a good team they'd lost to this United and you know some of the critiques I received from that piece were how dare you say that United were really good etc etc I think Tuesday showed just the level of this United team I've never seen a team disintegrate into thin air like United did in that first half it was it, it it just wasn't a contest. City was so, so much better and it, it was good to watch um, City enjoy themselves um, and you'd expect they'll make the final from that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have seen the, the league the league game at the Etihad has, has been United turning another corner. and I think they've turned that many corners and not realised <laughs> they're actually on a roundabout. Haven't they? But they, um, it reminded me of... 2008 I mean those of you who are old enough to remember that far back I'm not I know you're not Um, in the you know United were the top dogs easily in 2008 City were were middling (laughs) middling Premier League outfit Um, it was a Munich anniversary game City went to Old Trafford and won 2-1 you know, and they were they were the better team on the day. They deserved the two one victory. Uh, but nobody, but nobody thought that this was City turning the corner and they were going to overhaul United. And it, it felt a little bit like that this time. United did well at the Etihad. You know, they played a good counter attacking game uh, and caught City on the hot. But but Wolves did that. You know, Newcastle did it. It's, it's nothing new for City. You know, they they used to getting beaten by this season anyway. They used to getting beaten by teams that are nowhere near their quality. But who have a who have that trick of being able to hit them on the break, and that's what happened in the league game. Uh, City dealt with it this time, uh, came up with a with a plan that that negated that, and uh, and just and just showed their quality. They were, they were still stinging from that game. Um, Ilkay Gundogan said as much. I spoke to him afterwards, uh, and he, he said, you know, that they were still hurting from that that defeat at the Etihad. Uh, so that that fed into it as well. But you know, the, the two won it at the Etihad damaging as it was to City was just a blip and I like Sly said the true gulf between the two teams was was on show and United fans admitted that on the night and the more honest ones you know were, were talking about men against boys and that kind of thing uh, and, and that that's the way it was um, you know you can't see it changing in the near future as well yeah, it's a bit of a reality check, really, for people who are getting a bit carried away with themselves thinking United might be back. But uh, so I guess a lot of credit goes down to Pep Guardiola. He said he expected, pre-match, he said he expected it to be similar to the game in December. Um, his tactical switch worked wonders. United could not cope when they saw the team use drop with Aguero and Jesus on the bench. And Pep Guardiola deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that because, again, he's proven himself that he's so tactically ahead of anyone else, really. It, it was a vintage night for Guardiola and he absolutely loved it I mean his team selection had everyone guessing I don't think anyone got it right um, he played like an equivalent of 4-4-2 which for everyone coming 
saying he'd come over to England and ruin it with his tiki taco. Well, he, he kind of did and didn't at the same time. Um, it was it was amazing to watch United couldn't cope with it. United didn't know what to do, who to pick up, um, and you know he enjoyed it afterwards in the press conference. He was he had a sort of a little pop at all of us and all the fans who have questioned Fernandinho in defence instead of being in, in midfield. Um, so it it was a night to remind you that he is still the best coach in the world and has still got a hell of a lot left to give, really. Yeah, I guess when we're on Fernandinho there, Stu, how impressed with you? Because obviously this season has been maybe... He's been really good at defence, but everyone has had the back of the mind, but he's a centre mid. Mm. you know. But he showed on... On Tuesday, just how good he is. Yeah, I, I think perhaps, uh, perhaps misjudging it. I don't think people are saying he's not a centre back. I, I have said that early on. In early on, when he when he first uh, switched to centre back, he made a couple of defensive errors, and you, you kind of think, is he up to it defensively? We all know he's good enough to play there from a football point of view. Um, but I, I think what people have been saying is that by putting him as centre back, you miss something in in midfield. Rodri's obviously a really good player, good technically, very solid and probably defensively better than Fernandinho in many ways. But he's not um he hasn't got that same passing range as Fernandinho. He doesn't he doesn't sort of drive drive the transition the way that Fernandinho does. Uh, and I think that's what people were saying, rather than saying that, you know, oh what what's you know, he shouldn't be playing at centre back. It's just more you need two Fernandinho's. I think Pep said in his in his first few weeks in charge that he, he wanted ten Fernandinho's and he'd win everything. And that's a fair point because he, he does give you the impression that wherever you put him on the field, he would do a job. Uh, but I just thought he was he was just so good the other night. Everything he did, um, you know, you're playing against a fast team. He hasn't got the legs to keep up with Rashford and, and Daniel James and players like that. But he was just stepping in at the right moment, timing his tackles to perfection. Uh, we saw a number of times where a ball had come in from from the flank, and he would he'd be in exactly the right spot to cut it out. And then when he's on the ball, he becomes that defensive midfielder again. You know, his his passing is is better than anybody's. His long passing is better than anybody's on the pitch. And I I've broken off this podcast to, uh, from writing a piece about how when Laporte is back, it's it's almost going to be the perfect centre back pairing for City uh, because they've both got defensive qualities that complement each other. But they've also got Laporte does with his left foot what Fernandinho does with his right in terms of switching the play and playing channel balls. You know, they, they can they can play both those as well as being really good at the build-up and playing through the lines. So they're going to have two excellent passes of the ball in the heart of the defence, but two players who can actually defend as well. Uh, and I think that bodes really well for the second half of the season. I guess the other question on that is, if Laporte and Stones are both fully fit, where do you think Pep would want Fernandinho to play now? Do you think Pep would prefer him to play as a centre-back I, now? Or? I think Guardiola prefers him as a centre-back now and he said he will play there for the season. I mean, you know, as good as he was the other night, we could be sat here next week talking about him getting caught out for a shock Aston Villa defeat or a shock draw or, or whatever, like Stu said. That's he, a city pessimism we need. It is, you know, he has shown at times that he isn't a natural defender and he's still not, he still might not be a natural defender, um, but he brings so much to that position and he, at the minute, he is City's best centre-back option, which is, you know, as sort of worthy of praise for him as it is slightly damning on the other choices. 
because they should be better than him because they're natural centre-backs. But he brings so much else from his game um, that he's been able to um, to sort of slot in. And his, his reading of the game on Tuesday night was exceptional. Yeah, and for uh, Pep, keen to time down to a, a, a longer contract at City as well. And those quotes came out after the game as well, Stu, saying that he's got a clause in his contract where if he plays, is it 60% of City's games, he gets a extension? How vital do you think Fernandinho is to, to City's long-term plans under Pep Guardiola? Do you think it is, although he's a fantastic player, do you think City do need to think about life after him as well? I think, uh, well, the big, the big problem you would have with it is is his fitness you wonder whether you know he's 34 30 getting going he'll be 35 in may um i remember his his first season at city when he was exceptional in the first half of the season not many players do that not many players come here and play really really well in the first half of the debut season especially when you've you've come from like the ukrainian league which is different completely um well precisely (laughs) rest my case um but in the second half of that season, uh, I mean, basically, he was the legs for Yaya Torre. He was he was like the the second man in midfield, and he accepted that role. He accepted he was like uh, the man who helped Yaya Torre play his game. And in the second half of the season, his legs went, you know. And this is when he was, you know, six seven years younger than he is now. Um, and you, you kind of think, can he sustain it in the Premier League, especially when he gets to 34, 35? But he's obviously upped his fitness levels and he looks as fit now. Or, well, he does look as fit now as when, as when he first came. So, you know, he's, he's obviously learned and he's a good student of the game. Uh, and he'll, he knows what it takes to get, get through a Premier League season. Um, I, I was looking, he, he played 90 minutes. He played three games on the bounce in, was it five days? Over yeah, Christmas. Christmas yeah. And this is a 34 year old you know we had younger men who were sort of uh, being rested for, for it um, and yet he, he just played and played and played and was good as well you know it wasn't like he was struggling and, and panting and, and unable to get back but so I mean that, that's been the key to it and he's proved this season that he's got the fitness we know he's got the ability you know he's I mean Kevin De Bruyne was saying the other night he's is the most underrated player since he came in. I think that's that's absolutely true. You know, everyone talks about De Bruyne and Silva and then Sterling and Aguero and players like this and Bernardo last season. But Fernandinho has been consistently excellent since he came to the club. Uh, and people don't talk about him enough, I don't think. Yeah, uh, well, she's on the topic of the players who are praised as well. Uh, Sight was never... The, a glaring contrast between a side who have a lot of creativity and one who have absolutely no one any of those City players would be the star man at United but uh, it's a joy to watch City in full flow but I guess maybe the one criticism City as Bernardo said should have been fived up at half time yeah they should um, I still uh, saw it before the game but absolutely bonkers that Sterling scored more against City than he has against United he's played like 1,300 minutes against United now, not scored a single goal. And Do you think he's, he was playing on his mind on Tuesday? Because there was two or three chances where he just seemed to... Yeah, to too, yeah. you wonder if they'd been at the Etihad, would they have been scored? I guess we shall see it in the second leg in a few weeks if he starts. But yeah, he was sort of the main culprit, um, I would say. And it's been a problem for City not being clinical enough and getting punished. Um yeah, it was 3-1. It probably should have been more like 6-1 six, six or, or yeah. something like that. Um, 
for as the, if you ever win six one for, <laughs> for the dominance. Um, it was when uh, United scored they. Uh, their goal. Um, a colleague turned around and, and pointed out that United made it three one when they did lose six one. So they were clearly still expecting a big a big score. But I mean, I think just fitness caught up with them, and it has been a busy time. And uh, Guardiola was saying afterwards they've not had time to train, they've not had time to do anything. It's just been about surviving. And I think they probably took the foot off the gas a bit and thought this team is dreadful they're not going to do anything against us we can see this one out and they were slightly improved in the second half United and got that goal back so the tie is still alive but it would take a failure of epic proportions for for City to to go out just just on that I mean it's interesting that Sai's talking about how little time they've had to prepare Pep, Pep talked about that you know they've had so so little time in the last two or three weeks um, they've just been bouncing from from, from uh, game to game and sleeping and eating in between basically um, um, we asked Kevin De Bruyne afterwards you know how, how, how long did it take to come up with you know to practice that game plan to beat United and he said oh we did it for 15 minutes this morning which when you think about it is is testimony to what Pepper's achieved at City you know he's got players there he's, he's got only intelligent players who can I mean I know they've, they've sort of trained similar systems before uh, so it's only a tweak to, to things that they've done in the past but to have a, a set of players who can in 15 minutes he can show them what needs to be done and they pick it up they don't even have to sort of drill it time and time again they know exactly they, they, it's clicked with them they've figured it out and then they go into the game and execute it perfectly I mean that that is perhaps you know Pepper's got many great achievements since he came to City and before that but certainly that has to be right up there you know the fact that he's got a squad who know instantly what to do when to do it how to do it and why they're doing it it's uh, it's, it's incredible really and when it, when it works like that it's it's poetry in motion, and and they've never done that before, have they? Like, like he has played with a false nine. He has played with like a rolling front three, and sometimes we ask him tactical questions, and he'll reply and say, "No, no, we do this, this, this," or, you know, we didn't do this, and you sort of let him have because he knows a lot more than us about these things and he knows what's planned. But you know, I, I've seen a false nine a lot. I've never seen what they did. On no, Tuesday. no. Uh, it's, it's amazing whenever you ask anyone, not only Pep, when you ask the players, you know, because we're, we're novices at this. There's one at space, Arsenal, you know, wasn't there? Hmm? At Arsenal, again. At, at Arsenal, yes, when uh, <laughs> when a, a, an unnamed colleague of ours who, who works for The Athletic told Kevin De Bruyne that, that uh, I was an idiot because I didn't... Un- no, to be fair, <laughs> what he said was, we're all idiots. And then, then he sort of jokingly referred to... To me being a prime example of, of said, <laughs> which I all my hands up, but held up against Pep Guardiola, you know, 90% of people who watch, well, more than that, 98% of people who watch football across this planet are idiots. Uh, and when you, you know, you, you ask the players and they say, no, nah, we, 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 you know, we've played this before. And you're thinking, well, I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> uh, you know, if you played this before, I haven't seen it. Um, but but it's, it's in their heads it's the same thing you know the, the way they played at Barcelona in, in Pep's first few months in charge I mean I know they lost that game 4-0 but people forget that City were actually very good in the first half you know they were the better team than Barcelona and it all 
it all hinged on Claudio Bravo getting sent off. But I remember sitting down in the press box and we got the teams and Sergio Aguero was on the bench and it was it's, it was sacrilege. <laughs> you know, there were City fans calling for Pep's head for having having the nerve to drop Sergio Aguero, club legend. Uh, and Kevin De Bruyne was sort of playing playing the the false nine uh, that that day, but it it did work until Bravo got sent off, and then then Barcelona took over. Um, but I, you know that that was similar to what they did the other night, but but not the same. Uh, but in the players' heads, it is the same, and they know they, they, they've got they've got it all mapped out. Um, I remember Vincent Company saying that when he first started telling them this stuff, it was like trying to understand Chinese. And now they've grasped it. They're all fluent in fluent in, in pep speak, if you like, and they all understand it. And he just has to throw it at them 15 minutes in a training session on the morning of the match. They've picked it up, it's clicked, they've gone out and done it. It's incredible. I think I know the answer to this next question from both of you, but after the game, Pep insisted the tie isn't over yet. He said... It is Manchester United. That could be a backhanded insult, actually. You could be saying, we know we're coming through. But uh, 3-1, you would say, you know, United have nothing to lose, but they would have to score two goals to take it to extra time and then a third, really, to win the game outright. Do you think there's any chance that he won't make the Carabao Cup final? There is about a, I'd give it like a 1.5% chance. <laughs> Where's that half come from, exactly? Uh <laughs> I would say Bobby Bravo, probably. <laughs> yeah, I I think you know if the if they play the game, what is it? What we're we talking? If they play the game two hundred times, then United will win three times. That's where the one and a half has come from. It's it's interesting. That's juncture that. Well, <laughs> if, you, if you think back a month, it's only a month ago that United were two 0 up at half time. Should have had more. The yeah, yeah, and they should have. You know, they hit the bar. Uh, the, 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 was it a bar or a post? They hit the woodwork. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and they, they, they could. So if that happens again, if City make the same mistakes, well, United are straight back in the tie. So you know, I, I've been sort of doing this a long time, and I've seen some some incredible things happen. Uh, and City are can be vulnerable at the back. Um, I think I think City were probably punching the air when the draw came out, and they, always get they were times, away. Don't they? they were away first. I think if they'd have been at home at first, everyone goes into the home game thinking yeah. the same way as they did in the league game. You know, the onus is on City to attack. United can just sit back and hit them on the break. It's different at Old Trafford. You know, United. I, th- I think that's probably why City have got a better record at Old Trafford against United than they have at the Etihad in recent years. Because United feel they've got to go out and attack. You know, they've got a, a crowd and they've got a history behind them that says you've got to go out and attack. You you can't sit back and and uh, and and then soak it up and try and try and counter. So I think it suited City perfectly to have the first game at Old Trafford, and they've uh, you know they've, they've given themselves a good lead. But it's I mean, and again, the perfect thing now for City is they they don't have to they don't have to come out and attack. They can play exactly the same way as they did at Old Trafford. Uh, United, United have got to try and chase the game otherwise it ends nil-nil so uh, it's perfectly set up for City to, to counter them and, uh, and and comprehensively beat them again I think I mean Solskjaer got a lot of credit for beating Guardiola and Mourinho in a few days um, in December Guardiola showed his class as a coach by what he did at Old Trafford so the onus is now on Solskjaer to Respond again to come up with something and try and outthink Guardiola. So, well, they, 
Guardiola doesn't have strikers, he's not a player with no midfield. It doesn't quite or, work. Or defence. Yeah. Or goalkeeper. Other than or, that, yeah. on the same part. But uh, while Pep Guardiola's dream of a trip to Wembley, City's youngsters side won't be making the trip to Wembley this year. The EFL Trophy had the joys of Scunthorpe away on Wednesday night. We're recording this on the Thursday. And how was your trip to Scunthorpe? They won 3 1 against a, a young City side. Yeah, it was uh, quite a nice drive there. Not really any traffic on the M62. Uh, <laughs> sort of went downhill after arriving, really, and then until I sort of, you know, arrived back home in the early hours, crying into my steering wheel. Um, it was... They weren't good enough, and uh, they got well beaten. Th- they 3-0 down in the first half. Um, it was the sort of typical... City that is sort of we've seen in the first team and especially this team where they um, they don't score the chances that they create and they concede too easily um, it just didn't happen and credit uh, Tommy Doyle who spoke really well for five ten minutes afterwards with us and said yeah they need to be better they can't make excuses they need to do better in both boxes essentially but um the sad thing is that being out of this tournament, there's not that much competitive football um, left for them this season. They've got to avoid relegation from the Premier League too. Um, there's the youth cup for those young enough to participate in it. Um, but yeah, a disappointing night really. Contrast of emotions from Tommy Doyle being in the Old Trafford away end on Tuesday night. Uh, now that we've got the derby out of the way, Stuart transfer window is still ongoing you know what the question is going to be City fans are still intrigued to know if there's going to be any developments any new arrivals or maybe even departures this month what can City fans expect as it stands now about a quarter of the way through the January window well I hate to be a harbinger of doom but I don't, <laughs> I don't think there'll be anything if there is going to be anything they've kept extremely quiet um, um, sources at the club that we we use are telling us absolutely nothing but there's always the rider that if something came up they would go for it um, but City are at the, the level now that bringing players in at any time is tough bringing them in in the January transfer window is even harder because clubs want to hold on to them you know mid-season top clubs have all got something to play for they don't want to lose the best players or if they do they'll wait until the summer Um so, you know, that's what City have uh, I've got to deal with. And they've, they've been insistent all the way along. Pep said it a million times in press conferences, and we're hearing exactly the same privately as well, that they're, they're not in the transfer market at all. It's difficult to see. I mean, you look around, who, who, who is a, a centre-back? Yeah. People talk about Koulibaly. Yeah. But this it, week we've seen Koulibaly, Nathan Ake and Adama Traore all yeah. sort of I think, hotly I think Sionchu was another one, but yeah. so, I mean... City sometimes let it be known that for, for whatever reason that they're not interested and, and Sayonchu was one that they're definitely not interested in um, the reasons for that vary and I don't know what the reasons are for that particular one but uh, he's definitely not but they, that doesn't mean that they are interested in the other ones you know um, they, they've certainly not been in for Ake I know that because we um, we've gone into that one as well Um I'd be extremely surprised, and I, but I have been caught. I mean, we said this when Wilfred. I mean, we said this in the last podcast yeah. when Wilfred Bonnie signed. But his weekly um, shout out, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah somebody's got to remember. <laughs> 
so you, you know, uh, it's, it's obviously burned onto my memory that <laughs> one because it was uh, I was saying the same thing at that time that no, they weren't going to sign, and then they bang, they picked up Bonnie. Um, but I'd be very surprised if any any business is done. I think summer's going to be busy. Um, from what we're hearing, both on the field and and off the field, in, in terms of the shake up, but um, nothing, nothing in the winter. I don't think. I think the thing is with someone like Ake, like he looks like a really good defender and a good fit for City and Guardiola, but he's out until the end of January. He's been out for six weeks. Like, is it worth paying the premium in the January window to? bring him in so he could be relegated as well at the end of the season yeah 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 exactly yeah but for you know for someone who let's be honest if you're buying someone in January it's for the Champions League campaign because you're probably not gonna win the league but there's no sort of there's no risk of you finishing any lower than third so do you take that risk or do you wait let him see out the rest of the season and then have have another look um, it's weird because a load of sort of Liverpool fan sites seem convinced that City will spend in January but you speak to no, anyone no better than you speak to anyone at the club they've been saying for months that they won't so I guess we'll have to wait and see living rent free is the term that's used, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, there's, there's almost an obsessive compulsive disorder about City as well and certainly under Pep in terms of squad size and they've, they've got four you know they, they've got you've got Laporte Fernandinho Otamendi, Stones, Garcia is part of that now. So they've got five centre backs. Uh, I mean, you can you can talk about the relative merits. I mean, Otamendi's been poor this season. We know that Stones is still to prove that he is that player that everyone hoped he could be. Fernandinho and Laporte, no doubt about those two. The way it's going, Garcia is looking good as well. Um, but they don't like having too big a squad you know five centre-backs is more than enough come to the summer you would expect Otamendi to go um, you do wonder a little bit about Stones he's, you know it's a big. he's got a big few months coming up he might go in the summer if, if he doesn't prove himself between now and then I suspect um, so you know I've, buying a sixth centre-back is just not the way City been operating under Pep they've done that in the past where they've ended up with a big bulky unwieldy squad with players who aren't even in the picture um, under Pep they've, 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 well even before that they started trimming it right down to have a sort of a lean mean kind of squad uh, so just going out and buying a centre back in January for the sake of it just isn't isn't their style anymore Si last question for you and you've already hinted that at Villa this weekend you said it could be a, <laughs> a repeat of what we've seen in Norwich uh, Newcastle those sort of games but uh, what are you expect from City uh, after such a fine performance in midweek against a Villa side who themselves were good against Leicester last night yeah it's a good test for them because um, Villa will be up for it and in front of their own fans and they've got players who can hurt City Um if City show that vulnerability that they have shown this season but it's a good chance to sort of build on that United win and say that you know the team are, are back and ready to to give it a, a good go in the second half of the season of uh, trying to reel in Liverpool even if they don't end up getting there Stu it's got to be no City win surely this weekend well you you put your you know you're putting money on it you'd definitely go for that wouldn't you you'd put a pick but, a mix on it wouldn't you sir yes <laughs> But he's, he, it looks good now because they've had that hectic schedule. They've now got five days, so they've got a chance for a little bit of rest and recuperation. They've got a chance to 
recouping training but then they know they've also got no cup replay the following week so they've got another week uh, and it, I, th- I think mentally that it's not the physical aspect it's the mental aspect they've, they've been able to switch off from from being in, in game mode and they can uh, they can switch it back on on Sunday and then uh, take, a, take a step back again after that I think it's important uh, that you get that kind of mental rest more, more than the physical rest in a lot of ways because these are all top athletes but uh, and I think that'll be well, I think we'll see that on Sunday. I think we'll see the the best city come out and and put on a bit of a bit of a display at Villa Park on Sunday. Well, we will see. We'll be back next week to reflect on what happens at Villa Park this weekend. Si, Stu, thank you very much for joining us again on the Talking City podcast. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll be back again next time. <laughs>